We'll be reading Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the beginning of the year, and if you are new to the, our congregation, our church here, um, it's a good time for you to find out what we believe and what we stand for, because at the beginning of the year I like to refresh um, what our vision of what we believe if you go to your bulletin at the top, you'll see a tagline there under San Jose New Hope. It says, Jesus-centered family crossing cultures and generations. And two weeks ago, we talked about what it means that we are Jesus-centered. In other words, we talked about the gospel. The gospel is the tremendous news that through Jesus Christ, God has redeemed us through something that we could never have done for ourselves Last week, I talked about family. In other words, I talked about community. There is no such thing as salvation. Just me and Jesus, we are all formed into a new kind of people, a new kind of community, which is the family of God, the church. And today, I want to talk about this. And all of this is out of Romans 1, 16 and 17. And today, I want to talk about something difficult, um, what it means that we are a family based upon Jesus and his redemptive work, the gospel, the, the word of the, uh, the, his redemptive work, the gospel, and we are a family that crosses culture. Um, that's a very difficult point. Uh, our society is very uh, multi-ethnic and multicultural, and um, it's not easy. Throughout the world, um, when cultures bump up against each other, there's strife. There's... Um, there's, there's racism. Uh, there is, uh, there's war. Sometimes there's straight-up riots. We have it in our country. We go, oh, we're so much better than other countries. No, we're not. What are you talking about? The, we are somewhat maybe kind of better at this multi-ethnic thing than everybody else, but that's truly damning with faint praise because everybody else is horrible at it and if everybody else gets an F, maybe we get a D minus in this country. So it's really, we're not that much better. Um, uh, but I suppose a D minus is better than an F, right? <laughs> uh, he, uh, today I want to talk about crossing cultures. And it's right here in this passage. The gospel has the power, is the power of God for salvation. How can a people be truly redeemed and saved if we just hate other people? <laughs> or look down upon other people, or insecure to other people because of the color of their skin, or because of the food that they eat, or because of their relational habits and practices and customs that we don't like. Hmm? How can that be a redeemed people? Isn't that just a racist people? Isn't that just a lost people? Which is just another way of saying, everybody? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so today I want to talk about how the gospel has the power of God 
to produce a whole new kind of culture. It is actually a heavenly culture. It is actually a supernaturally empowered culture. The power of God, supernatural power, see? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes the Jew first and also to the Greek. There's a very profound view there that there's a transformation of what it means to become Jewish and what it means to be Greek. I'm going to talk about this this new heavenly culture, which I call Jesus-centered culture. Let's call it the Jesus-centered culture. Not centered on being American, or not centered on being Chinese, or not centered on being Mexican. The history of all all my people, all my forefathers, and then all these customs that they've handed down to us, and we'll center ourselves on these things. No. That isn't what we believe in this church. It doesn't mean that some of those things that we received from our forefathers were not good. Many of them are good. But they're not enough to be saved and redeemed. They're not. No culture. And today I want to talk about this Jesus-centered culture in three parts. Part one, culture and the poison of pride. That's the big problem. There's a poison in every culture. It's largely overlooked. And um, the sin is pride. And it infects every culture. And it is exactly what makes us unable to truly be united to other people and treat them with love and honor and respect, really. Part one, the culture culture and the poison of pride. Part two, the movement from Jews to Greeks. There's a movement of the gospel from Jews to Greeks. And you're like, I'm not Jewish and I'm not Greek. I'm going to get to that. Okay? There's a movement from Jews to Greeks. And part three, there is a God-empowered way toward what I call Jesus-centered culture. God-empowered Jesus-centered culture. That's part three. Um, let's talk about culture and the poison of pride. Uh, let me start off with a little story. Um, I think it was about two months ago. Two months ago, I was driving my kids to jiu-jitsu. And um, this is just, you know, my, my wife and I, we're, we're, we're crazy Silicon Valley parents that, that schlep our kids around to... <laughs> their events that we want them to, um, you know, grow and have all these blessings. One of them is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, who's not, it's not, which in our dojo is not taught by a Brazilian, it's taught by an African-American, okay? Um, um, But that's not the point um, I want to get at. I was driving to Jiu-Jitsu, and Jiu-Jitsu is at 5 o'clock. We have to drive from 4.30 to 5 o'clock. Anybody here like driving across town from 4.30 to 5 o'clock? That's how good we think this dojo is. We drive from where we live in Cupertino to up here, this north area of of San Jose, um, to go to our dojo, and we have to drive that. And of course, there's like about three or four different ways, and depending on the way the traffic goes, I I make certain turns. That's how I, I do it. Now, um, but you guys know what it's like to drive in traffic. So there's this one particular place I go through these little local streets, and then I have to make a right turn, and this will hit me the highway. But that street that gets me to the highway can be busy, especially at that time of day. So I'm behind this little car. I think, I think it was a Honda Civic. And there's two lanes. You want to be in the left lane, because the left lane is the one that will hit you to the highway. The right lane is not the one that will get you to the highway. But the right lane... Is relative is fairly clear, 
the farther one, you know, as you make the one long, was busy. So I want the guy to make the right turn. He's there, in my mind, make the right turn. It's clear he's not turning. And so you guys know what it's like. Usually if I'm nice and a person is slow, I just kind of go, I just kind of hit my honker a little. I go, oink, bink, you know, come on, <laughs> right? I went, bink, no right turn. Okay, now there's two cars behind me. <laughs> so the, it's, because other people like this route too. There's two cars behind me, no right turn. Um, uh, the anger is starting to well up inside of me. I'm in a hurry <laughs> because every situation where you get stuck at a spot like this, that's two, three, five, potentially 10 minutes my kids' jujitsu lesson they're going to miss out on. So then now I'm just like, okay, come on, dude. Honk. I lay it down into the thing. Still no right turn. Now there's four cars behind me. I mean, you're so rude. <laughs> so inconsiderate. Just make the turn and squeeze yourself into the other lane. And if you can't, too bad. That's just, you know, you have to be considerate to other people. Honk. And now I'm getting straight up angry. Honk. Still no right turn. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. This person is really stupid. So I guess we're going to have to wait till it gets really clear. So now I'm looking, looking, looking. And finally it gets clear. And this, when it's super, really safe. And this person you know, turns right into the, you know, the, the, the left portion. Um, and as soon as the person turns right, you can see their face. There's, there's two people sitting there. You can see their face and you can see their ethnicity. Now, all three of my kids are in the car. As soon as they turn, make the right turn, my daughter sitting in the back goes, this is Laura goes, they're Indians. <laughs> As, and as soon as she said that, I, I, I started laughing. <laughs> you know, I, my, I forgot my anger for a moment. I started laughing. Of course, I immediately turned right, and they, they're on the far. I, I zoomed zoom right by them. And of course, since I'm a really good, aggressive driver, I squeezed myself into the lane. The thing that they don't know how to do, apparently. Okay? And, but in the meantime, while I was sitting there, and I was waiting at the red light, you know, of course, like six cars ahead of them, and of course, I'm so much better because I'm six cars ahead of them, right? I was sitting there thinking, okay, my anger is subsiding and going, isn't that so funny? Even my own daughter knows this racial stereotype about how Indians are bad drivers in Silicon Valley. And, and so I'm laughing, ha, 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 that's so funny. And then I'm like, how did she learn this? Maybe she learned it from me. Did I say this racist thing in front of her? Because where else would she have heard this idea? And so now, she, I have nicely poisoned my daughter <laughs> with this nice racist stereotype. Any of you? Get, can any of you relate? Um, I, uh, well, okay, let, let's, let's time out here. I, I read, a, well, let me just stop from the store here. Um, I think it was about two weeks ago, I stumbled upon an article. It was a scholarly article in a, in a, in a, in a, in a well-respected scholarly journal. And it was long, like 25 pages. And it's the kind of thing that vast majority of people never want to read. Because it's, it's, it's read, it's, it's, it's just the language of the way academics are. It's so, it's just... They take an interesting topic and make it so boring sounding. But you know what it was about? It was about 
whether stereo racial stereotypes are true. And I thought that was really interesting. I said, oh, this has been studied? Of course it's been studied. So I, I read the article. I mean, it was, I didn't read all 25 pages. I started skimming the, really, the most boring parts. But you know what it found out? That racial stereotypes, according to social scientific studies, um, are more often true than not. I, like, I don't remember what the number was. In my mind, I got it stuck in my mind that it's more than 60%. I mean, that's high. It's not like I've hit, hit or miss, flip a coin 50-50. It's more than 60%. So, of course, the reason it's so common is because we have these stereotypes and they're based in some truth. I, I don't really know if Indians are particularly worse drivers than all the other different ethnic in, uh, groups in the Bay Area. But I'm sure some of you think you, you know for sure, right? <laughs> I'm sure my daughter now thinks so, too. <laughs> Um, this is just driving. This is just driving. I talked about this thing called the poison of, of pride. Um, apparently, I think that Indians are inferior drivers, or at least I must have said so at some point. I'm not sure if they actually are, but there's a part of me that wants to believe it. I'll be honest with you. Because I've had so many run-ins with these... And often than not, I mean, like, of course, they're Asian. I'm thinking they're Asian. Who knows if they're whatever, you know, because they're just another driver. I just happen to be unlucky behind the bad driver. But if their skin color sticks out a different way, we like to label them a certain way, right? I mean, you've probably, you probably would never, you've probably been around 100 different Indian drivers, and they never bothered you. It's just the one person that did bother you, you noticed their skin color. But there's something inside of us that wants to believe they're inferior on this thing. That's cultural pride. Right there. We all have it. And so you just name what it is. Um, just name what it is. Uh, my, my, ch my children, my son played Little League Baseball. We went up against a team that had three Mexican kids. Our team had mostly Chinese kids. They were better than us. <laughs> they were better than us. I said, oh, Latino kids. They can play baseball. Oh. So here's the flip side of cultural pride, cultural insecurity and defensiveness. I was like, oh, we Asians. All we care about is math. All we care about is math. All these Chinese kids can't throw a baseball. <laughs> but they're probably really good at math. But the Mexican kid, oh, man, he could throw a baseball. Yeah, I wish my son could play with him. That's exactly the thought that went through my mind when we went, when we played that team. I mean, I'm not proud of these things, but hey, come on. You all have them. We all have them. And you know what's going on? When we have these little these thought patterns that's going on, it's pride and the 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 is the pride because we're better and we look down upon other people. That's but pride, because we're inferior, and it's expressed through, it's expressed through insecurity. And when we bump up against each other, it's all there. It's there. <laughs> you, you, you meet a person, they have a different accent. I mean, this is how it is. It's, it's not even just, um, 
is not even just racial. They can be of the same exact ethnicity as you. And if they have a certain accent and a pattern, now a little stereotype starts to rise. And you've already just, you've, well, you label them, oh, you're different. You're other. The social scientists have this thing. They call it, there's the us, our people, and then there's the other, capital O. Other with a capital O. There's the other. We encounter these people. They're, they, they're even the same ethnicity. I know because it happens right in our church. They're the same ethnicity as a lot of the people in our church. They have a different accent. And they become the other. You're not among the us, the me, the, the ones that well, I'm comfortable around. You're the other. And if there's one God who's going to redeem the whole world, and what he does for salvation cannot solve this barrier. It cannot break down this barrier so that the other starts part, saying, you're part of us. I look at you as belonging to me. And you can look at me as belonging to you. And because of this, I will love you in a special way. I will treat you in a special way. If we, that can't happen, how can there be... I mean, I mean let me put this as, a, as bluntly as I can put it. Um, there are people that I met, some who have grown up right in this church. I'm thinking of a young man who grew up in this church. He has been taught the gospel since he was young. He does not believe in Jesus. He likes kind of when Christians are being honorable and, and decent people... But he straight up told me while we're having lunch, he says religion is just a function of culture. And so people have a culture, and so then they make up their religion, and then that's just how they do it. That's just, that's straight up the ideology that's taught in the university. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow. <laughs> so you're looking at a church with an ethnicity which is the same as yours, and you've decided that what we believe about God is just based on culture. I thought that was a very strange thing for him to say because a lot of the other Christians are not, obviously they're not Asian, they're not Korean. Um, but in his mind, God, the God thing that we believe is just a culture thing. See? I'm not talking about some kid far out. I'm talking about a kid that grew up here. And if the gospel cannot do this, cannot create a new kind of culture, that can cross these bears, if the gospel cannot do this, of course what he thinks is true makes sense. It's actually what he thinks is highly believable and what we think does not look real. I'm, I'm just putting that out there. And so I, I, the reason I want to put that out there is if you say you're a Christian and you believe that Jesus is the redeemer of all nations and you want some of your neighbors to really believe in Jesus, and you think he is a great God, and you don't actually live your life and think, and you meet someone who's, you, you, your immediate reaction is other. And then because he's other, you don't think that what you believe about Jesus can actually touch and change this person. If you can't cross that barrier, let me tell you something, the Jesus you believe is not very great. And all of our neighbors will know that. They'll say, you're into this Jesus person. That's how they said it. Jesus. It's kind of like this. 
I'm glad it really works out for you. He's cute. He's cute. It's your thing. But it's not, it's not, it's not my thing. See? But if we really believe the gospel, if we really are not ashamed of the gospel, and that's a form of this, I'm kind of ashamed to be a Christian, all right? If we're really not ashamed of the gospel, we believe has the power of God for salvation to break down all the deepest sin problems, including racial stereotypes that keep the other people away, that keep up this wall and keep them as other, and we cannot find a new or more beautiful kind of unity, then our God's just not that great. And people will know that. It's not something that we have to say. They could just feel it from the way we operate. And if we, so I'm pressing all of us, if we don't believe, if we don't have the guts to begin to try to look at the other person, and I think Jesus can change not just them, but really do something beautiful in their culture. If you don't actually believe that enough to that you would actually behave differently, then, then we're not going to see much of the beauty and wonder of God. That's part one of my message. Um, let's go to part two. It says here that the gospel... In it, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. Okay. Um, okay, I'm not Jewish pastor and I'm not Greek, so what does this have to do with me? It's, when the Bible talks about Jews and Greeks, it's not really just talking about Jews and Greeks. It is talking about a paradigm. A paradigm of movement of how the gospel moves. So, what are, in, in, the, in, in the in first century, when, when this was written, when the, when the New Testament was written, when the Bible went forward and the gospel is starting to go out and, and impact the world after the resurrection of Jesus and after Pentecost, when all the different languages, I mean, if you want to know that God cared about this, God was resur- Jesus was resurrected when he poured out the Holy Spirit and immediately the, the cultural barriers were broken down. That's what he did. That's the far, one of the first things that he did to send out um, the gospel, and then, of course, then what did all the, the, the um, disciples do? Then they went into holy huddle and hung out only with Jews. So then you know what God did? He sent them persecution. He just killed a few of them. He let the Romans kill some, actually, the, I think it was Jews, Jews and Romans together. He killed some of the Jewish Christians, and then, that's, then they scattered. And then when they scattered, then they took the gospel to the Greeks, Jews are people who have some history of the knowledge of God. They they can say, my forefathers knew God. They know the Bible. They have multiple generations. And the gospel has been now seed, the seed has now sprouted through multiple generations. They have a wisdom. They have a knowledge. They have a theology. They have a certain kind of moral worldview. There's certain like terrible things, wicked things that people do, and they've gotten rid of those practices. So if the gospel immediately goes into a culture where they have no history of the Bible understanding, I mean, you may have one person who's a Christian and his cousin is a cannibal. Right? You may have a person who is a Christian and his father bows down and prays to his grandfather. Okay? But... When the gospel has been in, is the culture is growing, like a, it's like a seed, it's a life, it's growing, 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 growing. 
When the kingdom of God begins to grow inside, the culture starts to reshift and rechange because the beauty and truth, the righteousness of God, which comes by faith, exactly as this pastor says, as more and more people have faith, there's a competition that starts to happen in the culture. The culture starts going, hey, those people bow down to their grandfather. These people don't. And at first, there's, it's offensive because we've always done this. We've done this for a thousand years. And you don't do this. How dare you not do this? But as they start to, as this search of people, they're the same ethnicity now, remember. They're the same ethnicity. A whole new set of practices start to arise. And these new set of practices about the way they treat each other, about the way they worship, about the way they treat the poor, about the way they um, look at the laws, about the way they look at leadership, about the way they look at humility, about the way they do parenting, about the way they do sex, about the way they handle money, about the way they look at marriage. All these things, they start to see these things, and guess what? These practices filled with the wisdom and grace and mercy and truth of God, they start to defeat the lies and evil. That's who the Jews are. That's who Jews are. Jews are people steeped in the knowledge of God for generations. That's what Jews represent here in this passage. When those people now have enough trust to believe that the gospel needs to go out, that this God that has covenanted with our people and has married himself to our people has now died for our people to redeem us. When that message starts to go out, they go out to the people that are just crazy pagans. The Greeks were crazy pagans. They worshipped lots of different gods. And the people would go to temple. I mean, the, the sexual practice between the Jews and the Greeks are completely night and day. They would go to a temple and then there would be, this is, usually, this is being a good Greek. Being a good Greek is to pay the temple prostitutes and have sex with them so that the gods of fertility would bless your family because fertility is a means toward getting rich and prosperous. So that competition, so the gospel will come into the Greeks, and at first it'll be offensive, but that competition is now on. The kingdom is now breaking into their world, into their nation. And not just redeeming individuals, these individuals will now change, start to live a whole new different kind of life their whole understanding of eternity and of generations and of righteousness and redemption, it's all utterly changing now. And at first, it's just a few, but then the, as they gather more and more together, at first, if there's just one or two Christians, they're like, you're weird. <laughs> you're Greek. How the heck do you believe in this Jewish guy who was crucified on a cross and somehow were redeemed from that? That's idiotic. But as more and more of them more and more Romans and Syrians and you just name them, all these other Hellenistic type people, as they start to get saved. People are going to be like, what is this? So what will happen, this is what happened. There'll be a, there would be, um, there would be, uh, there would be a horrible disease. And of course, they didn't have vaccinations back then. A horrible disease would come in and then people would just start to die. I mean, streets would just pile up, would die. And as soon as that happens, guess what everybody does? Everybody huddles up into their group. These are multi-ethnic cities. 
all the Jews are only over here, and all the Greeks are only over here, and all the Syrians are only over here, and I know, you know, you name it, all the Corinthians are only over here, all the people of Ephesus are only over here. They're all in their little, you know, segregations, and they're kicking their family members out. I mean, this is what it was like. But the Christians would do it differently. Somebody would die, or somebody would get the disease. The Christians would take in these people. and say, you're my brother. You're my brother. I must nurse you. We'll be brothers forever. You're the wrong ethnicity from the old way of thinking. But Jesus Christ is risen, and now you're my brother. And so they would nurse these people. And then sometimes they would even nurse the ones who aren't even Christians. And then mirac- and this would happen. The person who's nursing would get the disease. That person would die. The person who was being nursed would recover. And people go, how did you recover? Well, this person, different ethnicity, nursed me. Then he died. Why did they do that? They believe in Jesus. After the the disease passes, well, we, the epidemic passes, then people go, "Who's Jesus? Where do you go worship? Can you ch- tell me about that? I'm interested." That's the movement of the gospel from Jew to Greek. Now it's happening. It's not just from Jew to Greek. Um, In this church, it's from Koreans to Americans. Or how about this? How about from immigrant Christian Americans to, um, to, to Paiute Native Americans? That's the movement. That is the movement. And so you have all these odd people out of this church. You have... You have Chinese and Koreans and Caucasian Americans and in this odd immigrant gospel Jesus-centered family and we drive eight hours through the mountains to go onto a poor reservation, onto a Native American reservation and we do whatever it takes so they can know Christ. That's the movement. Why? It is the power of God for salvation. Um, and guess what? It's very hard. It's very hard to do these things, and, you, and we're afraid to do these things. Uh, when I have been training, me and Frank and last year, Pastor Young, we have been training. Uh, this is the team that goes out to reach the Native Americans. We've been training them for now five, has this been six years now, Frank? Six years. We've been doing this training every year for six years. You know what we, we hammer like crazy? Just first win relationships. But we all walk in going, i got to do work. What what is it that I'm going to do? We all have something to do. Am I going to do medical? Am I going to do, am I going to do, am I going to help fix their houses? What are we going to do? Because we're so fixated on their works. But notice what the passage says. It is the power of God. From faith to faith. From faith to faith. A righteousness from faith. First, we must believe something. And if we believe something, so first what we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to train our team 
to believe the gospel and then believe the gospel can make that person our brother. So first, let's treat them neighborly and win them and think of them as they can be our brother, win deep relationships. Don't do a work on them. A work is something that the person at the, the welfare office does on the poor person who comes in. That's what they, they're doing a work. I don't know you. We're not friends. You're the other. You're showing up. I'll do a work on you. Okay? Your car breaks. You go to the mechanic. That person's not going to win a relationship with you. They're going to do a work for you. If we go and think about gospel mission as a work, we're going to fail. But before we do, do anything, before we do anything, we must believe something. There must be a faith in the power of the gospel, which then translates to, let me treat you a certain way. I actually want to love you. I want to believe that you could possibly one day love me because we'll be brothers. And when that happens, not if it happens. If you believe it, and we bear the gospel forward, it will happen because the Holy Spirit will win people. When it happens, you know what's happened? The movement from Jew to Greek has happened. It's on. It's on. God is breaking into a nation, not just an individual's. A nation and the competition of God's kingdom over the dying, falling, failing kingdom of man, the kingdom of God, the competition is on. That's what's happening. And it's a beautiful, incredible thing. And maybe the deep beauty of it won't happen until we have died. We have died, and our grandchildren will begin to see, oh my gosh, look, our, my grandchildren, I hope my grandchildren will go to Bishop Paiute Reservation. And they're going to see multiple thriving churches and they're going to see Native Americans praising Jesus and their marital patterns and their education patterns and, their, uh, and the way they deal with drugs and sex and alcohol addiction. All those things have been defeated in a new kind of way. And I'll have, I will pass away, but my grandchildren will go, hey, this is just normal. It's not normal. It started at some point. Can you see this? Can you believe this? Let me close out my message. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it seems, in one sense, on one sense, it's very simple. On one, another sense, it's very impossible. Why? Because we can't do this. If we could do this, the government would come up with some kind of a plan, and then we we could get multi-ethnic peace. <laughs> But the government can't come up with that, such a plan. No government, no university based upon secular wisdom will ever be able to solve this because, yeah, I mean, some of the people mar- intermarry, but then you just get this kind of mishmash culture. It's still not really at peace. True, deep peace. Shalom. This is something done by God. And so... The first thing I want to say to us is just relax a bit at first. And we're going to fail. And we're going to stumble. And so the first thing is to believe the gospel and and then to sit in the righteousness from God, not our own righteousness. That's why I wasn't afraid to stand up and tell you, hey, 
I have stupid racist thoughts about Indians. I'll confess that to you. Because, but I don't trust in my righteousness. I believe that through the gospel, there's a righteousness from God that will come by faith and that will begin to reshape my heart if I will go to the well of the gospel and believe in the gospel more and more and apply that. And then next, then we fling ourselves into it. <laughs> we start making some friends or trying to make friends, and they will look at us and then we'll be rejected, of course. But as we bring forth the gospel, a new thing will start to happen. Jesus Christ, I'm going to say the gospel, then I'm going to show you a picture of what this could be like. And it's not a theory. I'll close the message. Let me say the gospel a little differently. There was a person. He lived in a different culture. In that culture, there is no poverty. There is no theft. There is no racism. In every possible way, that culture was superior to our culture. The land that he lived in is heaven. And his father is God. And his family is perfect and holy. He left his culture to come to our culture. It's the culture of man. And here, there is death. There is murder. There is racism. There is greed. There is hatred. In fact, we kind of weave our greed into our culture and we make it normal. And we use greed to build a whole culture. That's, how, that's, that's what America is, by the way. <laughs> it's a culture built upon greed. Other cultures are not necessarily built on greed. That person came here. He was neither prideful. He was deeply humble, and he was certainly not insecure. He came to invite us. And he started the movement of the power of God of salvation from Jews to Greeks and then later to, to Americans and Chinese and Koreans and Native Americans. He started that movement. And he did it by laying his life down because he knew, he believed, he knew that his righteousness through the death and resurrection could change a whole new people. He knew it. And of course, you know his name is Jesus. All those people who believe in that person and what he did and will follow him can redeem whole nations. I'll give you a picture of this. <clears throat> I know I'm, I'm kind of banging away at the, the Bishop Paiute. I, the reason I, li I love talking about it is because most of us in, in these little immigrant communities, we, we don't even, we, it's like, Pastor, you're just talking about crazy weird dreams. No, I'm not. And I like talking about it because it's not a fairy tale. It's not a fan. It's incredibly real. It's not happening somewhere over there in Africa. <laughs> okay? Some missionary over there reaching poor. It's happening in our church. It's happening with us, with people just like us, just insecure, typically racist, other kind of people, just like us, us, not them. So just to, just to pick, give you one picture among so many, because it's happening. 
His power is not going to be stopped as long as the faith is there. So um, last summer, we had a candidate to become the pastor at, um, at, uh, at the, on the reservation, on the Paiute Reservation at Bishop. For those of you who aren't there, it's, it's, the reservation is next to a town called Bishop, so we call it Bishop, for those of you who are new to our church. And the gentleman was white. He was in his late 50s. He's from New Jersey. And it took an act of faith for us to even choose him because Native Americans don't like white people. And, I mean, there's, it's understandable, I mean, with the history. And uh, so we've picked a person who they have racial problems against, whose skin color was racial problem against, because we believed that his faith and the Jesus was so much powerful than his skin color that that guy could become their pastor. So it took faith for us to just pick that guy. Get it? So then we picked that guy, and he went with us last summer, and then he wandered around the reservation hanging out with us. And let me just give you a picture. So just here are some of the people gathered together. Me, I'm getting close to this guy, and his name is Cliff. Cliff is in his late 50s. I'm in my early 40s, soon to be mid-40s, okay? So we're in two different generations. He's East Coast. He grew up more blue-collar. He's former military. He used to be in the sheriff's department. His world and my world are very... I visited him in his town, right? South River, New Jersey. Let me tell you something. I I don't mean to be mean, but I I would probably never want to live in that town, okay? It's not a town I would ever choose to live in, not that I dislike his town, but it's not really kind of my deal. He's East Coast, New Jersey, blue collar. I'm West Coast, Asian intellectual. Right there, just on the outside, he should be other. Man, that guy's awesome. He's going he's to be right up there at the top of my list near the top of my list of brothers to hang out with. He's not other. He's my brother. There's me. There's Cliff. I'll I'll, I'll pick on him. There's Damon. Damon is odd. He's sort of like two cultures. He's like, he's not sure whether he's really American. He's actually, he's Korean, but he's kind of American. So he's just confused, okay? (laughs) He's He's just confused. But he's actually, he grew up as a boy. He was in America but he um, went to Hotshot University in Korea. So he is East Asian intellectual. So he, he doesn't fit either. <laughs> right? He doesn't fit either. And then um, there's another guy on our team. The guy who leads the team is a guy named C.S. Kong. C.S. Kong, educated in Korea. He did a PhD in Iowa. He's probably the only Asian guy in town. His town is like, there's like four Asians in town. His family, <laughs> okay, when he was at Iowa State doing his PhD in CS. And you think he is comfortable hanging out with Native Americans? He is now, because he went for six years in a row. So Cliff and Damon, and I think it was CS, didn't you guys go visit a guy? They went to a jail. They drove 40 miles south to a jail. 
to meet a Native American guy who believes in Jesus, but he has crystal meth addiction. They walk straight into this jail, these three men, to pray with a Paiute man who believes in Jesus, but is fighting crystal meth addiction. And these four men, they kneel down before Jesus to ask this brother to be liberated from all that's killing him, which is killing many of their people. This is the movement of Jew to Greek to the gospel. You see those four men sitting there in a jail calling upon the name of Jesus? That is heaven on earth. Those four men is Jesus-centered culture, heavenly culture on earth, right there, in the middle of a jail. (laughs) That's what it is. And wherever you see that, Jesus is there. Wherever you see that, God's power is there. And we're going to have that right here in our church. We believe this. It's going to have it right here in our church, right here in San Jose. This is what we stand for. There's no way, we're, there's no way to, to let Jesus only be the God of the Koreans, to let Jesus only be the God of the white folks. Are you kidding? Why would we do that? That's an insult to Jesus. It is to not believe in the power of God for salvation for Jews and for Greeks. We believe this. We're not going to stop. And as long as we believe this, the Lord will pour out his Holy Spirit and redeem nations. It's going to happen. Let's pray. It's, it's, it seems almost too good to believe. Yet, do they make movies about this? I guess they don't. Father, I guess w- would you help some people to see this? And maybe there'll be some movies about this. Do they write books about this? But it's right here in your word. I pray first you would forgive us for our lack of faith for our putrid, small faith where we insult you, Lord Jesus. We insult you. We insult your power. We insult your greatness. We insult how your humility could break down our pride. How your welcome could break down the ways that we close off and don't welcome other people into our hearts and lives. But I pray right here, right now, in this church, you would take all of us. Some of us have gone further in this movement from Jew to Greek than others. But even those of us who've gone further, we haven't gone very far. It's like the difference of some have gone 10 yards and some have only gone one. We've got a long ways to go for the power will be deeply unleashed. And we pray that you would put in our minds and hearts of movement, of repentance. To first believe in the power of the gospel and then apply that belief in small ways to start thinking, can that guy meet Jesus? Can that guy become my brother? Can that Indian guy be my brother? 
now I mean, it's confusing. I mean, I'm, can that Vietnamese guy be our brother? Can that Mexican guy become our elder? Can that Cambodian person become the next pastor that we unleash into our city? Is that actually real? And I pray, Lord, you would want to break these things down in us and you would unleash this power in us. Give us faith. Give us faith. Help us to stop insulting Jesus and instead honor Jesus. You would pour your spirit out and do this work in us and through us. Thank you for all that you have done so far. We pray that you would do all the more. We love you. We honor you. We thank you that we're so intractable and so insecure and so racist in all these different ways. We thank you for forgiving us and for washing us and for changing us. You give us a whole, you give us a beautiful set of friends and partners and brothers and sisters that would make us laugh and so grateful. I'm so, when I'm with Cliff, I feel like I'm so, like a boy hanging out with my older brother. I just thank you so much for that and I pray you do all that more and more in us. Promise in Jesus' name. Response to the Lord.